solo mente. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Texans podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am Johnson Sports Guy Hickman, joined by Cody Davis, and we are free and available on all platforms. Thank you for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. Super excited for today's show. We have a guest on. That is going to be fun. But you guys are here for one reason and one reason only. Cody, give the folks their rundown, and let's talk Texans. Yes, sir. And on this Wednesday installment of Locked on Texans, John and I are going to be joined by Miss Kim Davis, veteran sports journalist here in the city of Houston and host of Chalk Talk. As we discuss everything that's going on with the Houston Texans from their one and eight start to the 2021 season, whether or not this organization is in trouble with their rebuild. But before we jump into that, John, we want to give the listeners some quick news about the Houston Texans. And and I think it's time for us to take a look at just a little bitty tiny look at tight end coach Andy Bischoff. Absolutely. Before we dive into Andy Bischoff and that conversation, I do want to let you guys know that the Texans were awarded Royce Freeman off of waivers from the Carolina Panthers. He was drafted by the Denver Broncos in 2018. Freeman has 1,264 career rushing yards, eight touchdowns, and four yards per carry. And with that news, the Texans have placed running back Scotty Phillips on IR. So he will be out at least for another three games, and I don't expect to see him play uh, anytime soon for the Houston Texans. I think that experiment is over with. So you're telling me the Texans placed somebody on IR and they was awarded somebody off of waivers and it wasn't Odell Beckham, John? I think he was only you and you only expected <laughs> for Houston. I, oh, my God. I'm heartbroken, man. That's a miss op- It's a missed opportunity, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, we gonna, <laughs> let's leave it at that. I don't think Houston and Odell. We saw with Houston and James Harden. <laughs> okay, all right. But I do want to talk about Andy Bischoff, right? And what, what do we know about Andy Bischoff? We know that he spent time in Chicago. We know that a lot of his success came between Chicago and Baltimore. This is his first year under this, what I like to call a uh, an Avenger-style assembling for David Cully and that coaching staff, right? James Campy, Lovett Smith, uh, Andy Bischoff. Like they brought in guys that has a lot of experience in the NFL at at positions or in Levy Smith's case, a defense where they wanted to upgrade, right? With Andy Bischoff, this is his first year in Houston. We know that uh, Jordan Akins, we Farrell Brown, who just got a contract extension in the offseason. They drafted Brevin Jordan. We know all of that. And I want to take a look at the past before I talk about the future. Between the seasons of 2013 through 15, Martellus Bennett averaged 705 receiving yards and only five touchdowns. And this was under Andy Bischoff as well. During his time in Baltimore, before the rise of Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Nick Boyle, when they collectively combined for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns, he worked with the likes of Dennis Pitta. 
whom he assisted in his growth in the league, a player that was held back uh, due to his injuries. He also helped groom Nick Boyle. If you guys don't remember, Nick Boyle, who still isn't a receiving threat, he initially came in as one of those, we need for you to block, and that's about it at that tight end position, right? He helped groom him into more of a receiving threat, especially when he was able to play with Lamar Jackson. And he did wonders for Crockett Gilmore. That's a name you guys probably do not remember because we saw a big growth between year one to year two from Crockett Gilmore. And I think with the, the drafting of Hayden Hurst and, uh, and Mark Andrews and how the offense was reshaping, reshaping that kind of – and injuries for Crockett as well. That kind of led him out um, of that situation in Baltimore. Though his unit has been immensely disappointing this year, Let's remember it is year one with a team that hasn't have a great deal of consistency with personnel priority in terms of I'm not sure how important it has been uh, to involve the tight end group in the offensive game plan so far through nine games for Houston. That's number one. And I do think they have been uh, underutilized. But I also think that the tight end group that has been between Brown, Aikens, Auclair, and, and two games of rookie Brevin Jordan has been featured that has the Brevin Jordan has been featured, excuse me. They haven't really warranted being game plan for, right? Like this has been a unit that we wanted to see more of, especially considering a couple of things. Well, we knew that going into the season, they wanted to run the ball. In our mind, at least mine at least, I thought that running the ball would equate to more opportunities to see your tight ends get more targets that necessarily hasn't happened this year. And when they were able to get targets, it's not like big plays were made, whether it be on the QBs behalf or the tight ends behalf. I think that you definitely give him another year with Brevin Jordan. You cut your loss and that contract with Pharaoh Brown, you move on from Akins and let's see what Bishop can do. He has been in a position, been put in a position rather where he needs to uh, create value for his team for this team moving forward, like he's in a position where he needs a big sign that says, I need to be here. Keep me. Keep me. But it's all been misfortunate for Bischoff simply because it's been misfortunate for that offensive line. It's been misfortunate for that quarterback situation. It's been misfortunate for the receiver room. And quite honestly, you know, how involved were you in the process of drafting a Brevin Jordan? I think he's a player that through the next seven games or eight games or so, I want to see him featured more. This young, speedy tight end who you can use out there on the perimeter at times. But overall, the two tight ends that were featured for the majority uh, part of this season, he had nothing to do with bringing them in. And four years with Aikens here in Houston, Brevin, I mean, I'm Brevin, Farrell Brown is a player who's bounced around the league. And so, you know, he kind of get in where he fits in. This year one of Bischoff doesn't necessarily tell a lot about what he could possibly be as a tight end coach for this team, but it does tell a lot about the talent or lack thereof Houston has had at this tight end position. What I will say about Andy Bischoff, and I, John, I do agree with you that it that it's unfair to judge him or not to judge him and say he should be a part of the number of people that should not be with this organization moving forward. I would actually like to see Andy Bischoff stay, but what I will say is we 
we are not getting the full totality of what he can do as a position coach. But what I would say, we are seeing the prelude of what he can do because you go back and you take a look at when Brevin Jordan first got here, one of the biggest question marks about him. And part of the reason why he fell so far in the draft to the fifth round where the Texans were able to select him. Um, part of the issues that he had was with blocking. And I know after he was drafted, that's something I have talked about. John, that's something you have talked about. And even going back to OTAs and training camp, when we talked to Bourbon Jordan, he was talking about how hard it is to block in the NFL. Now, since he has been under Andy Bischoff, he has went from talking about how hard it is blocking in the NFL to someone who is now talking about the improvements that he is seeing in his blocking at the NFL level. And I think that's something we have to point out. Also, you mentioned Farrell Brown. You don't see him as a possibility being with this team. I'm going to disagree and say I do expect Farrell Brown to be with this team because for the first time in Brown's career, he is given an opportunity to showcase what he can do out there on the field. When you take a look at, at Farrell Brown's performance, at least through the first three games of the season, he was at his best compared to where he where he has been over the last four games. And by the way, we have not seen him at all the last two games because he's been hurt. Part of the reason why we have seen somewhat the best version of Farrell Brown on the NFL level is Andy Bischoff. And, and, and Farrell Brown talked about that as well. So you have two talented receivers that by by playing under Bischoff, they are starting to scratch the surface or what they can be, especially for a guy like Bourbon Jordan, who I do believe can be a damn good tight end um, for the Houston Texans moving forward. However, John, what I do want to agree with you is on if there's anybody that we can blame on the lack of productivity that we are seeing from this position group, it has to be Tim Kelly. And I say that because Tim Kelly should know how to use the tight end core because it doesn't matter if it was Darren Fells in 2019, if it was Jordan Aikens in 2020, he put those tight ends in a position, especially last year after the departure of Bill O'Brien, he put those tight ends in a position where he got the best out of those. And both of those guys, especially Jordan Aikens, are at their best when they are used as a pass catcher. And that is by far Jordan Aikens' best quality as a tight end. However, this year, for some reason, they want to utilize him more so as a blocker. Now, I understand it. The offensive line has looked terrible over the past couple of games, and they need all the help as possible. But even when you go back and you take a look at the healthy version of, the, of that offensive line, when you had Laramie Tunsil, when you had Justin Britt, they were still trying to use Aikens as a blocker, and that is why he is sitting here 10 games into the well, nine games into the regular season, and he only has 184 receiving yards in comparison to the four, the first four games of last season, where he recorded somewhere along the lines of like two to 300 receiving yards prior to the injury that sidelined him for I think it was three to four games. Andy Bischoff definitely deserve a spot to be part of this organization moving forward, especially considering that we are seeing progression in Brevin Jordan and that is somebody I do believe the Texans have that they could use in their rebuild moving forward Andy Bischoff is a keeper in my opinion Texan fans you know we talk about this a lot on the show and I want to help you guys save money we, we we drive a lot here in the city of Houston right this isn't up north where you may catch a cab or catch a train we like our cars Gas is rising. Gas prices are rising. We know that. I have an incredible app called Get Upside where you can make up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. 
Use promo code TOUCHDOWN for NFL, baseball for MLB, or hockey for NHL, and get a bonus $0.25 cent per gallon on your first fill-up. So that'll be an extra up to $0.50 cent cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Once again, get cash back using GetUpside with the with the promo codes, touchdown for NFL, baseball for MLB, and hockey for NHL. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Locked On Texans podcast. And thank you once again for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And continuing here with this Wednesday installment of Locked On Texans, we got a good friend of mine, Miss Kim Davis, joining us here on Locked On Texans for the very first time. Kim, what's going on? And welcome to Locked On Texans. Well, thank you guys for having me. I always appreciate it when somebody shares their platform. I'm excited to be on Locked On Texans, man. I, I don't know how to contain myself. Awesome. That looks awesome. a, a little bit. You know, we, we bring on, when you come on to the show, this is a family reunion half the time. So let loose. And like I always say, let's talk Texans. Yeah, as always. And Kim, you know, let's jump right into it. The Houston Texans, they are one in eight. And if you can describe the first half of the Texans season in one word, what would that be? Pathetic. Um, you know, I, I don't I, I don't really know another word. You know, one in, there's no pretty way to get to one and eight, right? There's no pretty but they have found like the worst way to get there. And I feel like they're getting worse. If that's at all possible, just imagine that they're worse. You know, we talked about the Buffalo loss. That was really bad. It was ugly, but it was Buffalo. It was in the rains on the road. Then there was the Rams loss. Oh my gosh, that was horrible. Then there was Miami. And that seems somehow even worse than the Rams. So what a great week for a bye. So they could, you know, not get any worse this week. Um, Kim, really quick, and John, I'm sorry to jump in in front of you, but Kim, you know, you say pathetic was the word, but let me ask you this question. Even though that is the word, are you surprised that, you know, here we are entering the bye week in week 10, are you surprised that, it was, that, that they are sitting here with a record of one in eight and arguably by far the worst team in the league? I am surprised. You know, we all do it in camp at the start of the season. We go through the schedule and say, okay, how many possible wins? And, you know, the people I thought they had a chance to beat, they've already lost to those teams, right? So it is. I, I'm, it's pathetic, but it is surprising that it's this bad. I didn't expect them to be this bad. I didn't expect them to be great. I mean, let's face it. When they had Deshaun Watson last year, he had arguably the best season, well, he did, that he's ever had, and they were 4-12. and 12. But it didn't look and feel like this, right? What did I say something, John? I see you doing the <laughs> Cody. What did I say? What did I say? What did I, what did I say? Uh, go ahead, just toot your own horn, man. Just toot your own horn. <laughs> I said for months there was no way that this team wins more than three games when they only won four with Deshaun Watson. And this I had five. Over. I have five, and I'm not going to lie. After that season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars that we watched together inside NRG Stadium, I thought we could have put six or seven. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so I didn't think that because uh, they are the Jaguars, um, who will probably beat them in Jacksonville because Tim Pedo will be better later in the season. And I said that before the season started. Like, I thought they could beat Jacksonville. I thought Miami was a good shot. <clears throat> I thought – Maybe the first time the Colts said something, just who knew? 
uh, I, I just don't know where the other wins come for this team. Now, I want to look at the future just for a little bit before we talk okay. about the present, because you mentioned that if you would wrap this season up in one word so far, it would be pathetic. They are on this bye week. Moving forward, how would you describe what you would want to see out of the season? How would it end in one word? Better. I mean, I know that seems really kind of trite. You know, I am not of the opinion that it makes sense to have the worst record in the league. I don't believe that you fail up in football. I think the people. I think that's the one of the most ridiculous ideas ever, because it doesn't work in football. I think, oh, well, they just can be really bad and they'll get the best picks because it takes. This in basketball, two players won't change the, the trajectory of what you're doing. So they've got to get better. They've got to start learning how to be better. You know, I don't know if the word is culture that we want to jump back to that, but whatever you want to call it, they've got to figure out how to be better because they're getting worse. And that's really kind of hard to imagine. Absolutely. You mentioned the word culture. That word, that C word has been thrown around for nine weeks now, eight weeks now, however long it's been so far in the season. And I want to use that word and kind of talk about Jack Easterby. What is, in your opinion, has his presence still been overbearing? Has it been, you know, has he been on his own entity where you can tell at times he may still be having say so over the last calls of certain decisions? How has it been for, again, in your opinion, Jack Easterby and the Texans relationship so far this season? So honestly, I, I don't have any interaction with Jack Easterby, right? So I will tell you what it feels like and what I hear from some of the players who talk about it, you know, uh, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the quiet. Uh, the fact that he is around annoys, annoys them still, but they know that Jack is, is a huge part of this organization and, and a huge part of the leadership and decision making. So they have to have to march carefully or walk to move carefully around him. So to answer your question, I just don't think any organization that has a footprint with Jack Easterby in leadership is headed in the right direction. Uh, he is out of his lane. You know what I mean? It, it'd be like me saying, you know, I really do like jazz, but I can't sing it. It's not my lane. And I just have seen nothing in Jack Easterby's past that tells me being an operations guy, a football operations guy is his lane. Is his lane. And they kind of defer quietly when you hear Nick talk, if you can sort through all the stuff he says and occasionally pick out a couple little tidbits, you get the impression that, okay, yeah, it all starts at the top in operations and that's Jack. So yeah. Jack seems to still be fully engaged. I mean, you do see him being present and moving around on the sideline. And, but I, I don't deal with him. I, I had one opportunity to talk to him on, on an interview last year, and my question got me kind of banned from asking questions for most of the season. So I'm probably not ever somebody that's going to get a chance to talk to Jack Easterby <laughs> again. I don't know. Beer Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever created. If you haven't tried a Beer Bar by now, you are missing out. They say it's a protein bar, but it does not taste like one. You have to try one of these amazing bars yourself to believe it. Most protein bars are very chalky, waxy, or just plain hard to chew. A Beer Bar is covered in 100% chocolate, soft, and when you bite into it, do you really think you're eating something different? You are. And it's more than just an experience. In fact, you swear you're eating a candy bar. Bill Bars are low-carb, low-calorie, low-fat, low-sugar, 
and high in protein, all healthy benefits, and just being great, amazing, and delicious. Go to billboard.com and use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at billboard.com. Thank you for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. Make sure you are dialed in throughout the week as we talk more about the Houston Texans. Now make your second listen, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available on all platforms. Kim, um, you know, as a veteran sports journalist like yourself, I mean, you're around the Houston Texans every day. You're around the Houston Rockets every day. You're around the Houston Astros every day. Um, you know, the Astros, they just went to the World Series, and the Rockets, they are also in the rebuild themselves. But, you know, when you take a look at the Houston Texans, it almost seemed like they shouldn't be in the position that they are. You know, I mean, the Astros – they have had success even after the scandal. You know, they, they are still going to the World Series. You know, the Rockets, it seemed like they got everything out of James Harden as possible. Then to the point it was like, okay, we can't do this no more. We have to part our ways. Matt, they probably held on to that era a little bit longer, in my opinion. But when you take a look at the Houston Texans, it seemed like just yesterday they was on the trajectory of being one of the best team in football. And within a blink of an eye, here we are on, on um, November 10th, 2021, they are sitting at one and eight, and there's no telling where this organization can go. And you even talked about the Jack Easterby um, saga of this whole entire foolishness. What I want to know, with this whole rebuilding process, from the culture to the players that they are bringing in, you see this is an organization who is kind of at odds with the fan base and everything. How much in danger do you feel this organization is actually in? So when you say in danger, um, tell me what you mean by in danger. So I make sure I understand before I, because I have some thoughts, but what do, when you say in, dan- in danger of what? I don't, I don't want to say losing the franchise here in Houston, but of course there's always the business side of, of, of football. Okay. And, you 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 see it every single every single time there's a home game inside NRG right. Stadium, every single game the crowd is getting less and less and less. And you know I'm sitting there the last home game that we was at when they faced off against the Los Angeles Rams. That was by far the deadest that I've ever seen it, and I'm pretty sure you could say the same as well. And I'm looking at right. this from a standpoint: if the Texans don't get this corrected sooner rather than later, you know, would this be another Houston Oilers situation? So here, here, here's some things that, that, that actually bode well for the Houston Texans, right? The, the, um, the TV agreement is, is, is guaranteed money. Uh, the reason that they're able to report 66,000 in attendance for the last Rams game when it looked like it was about 13, 14 people in that building, seriously, maybe it was about half that number. I think they should start saying paid tickets because they've got a huge corporate base. So financially, it's probably not hurting them yet, okay? Mm. If it continues because you, the, you know, sponsorship and all of that stuff buys ahead. So they, they're still making money. They're hurting. Their suites aren't selling. I know from talking to some people in different parts of the organization, they're feeling it. But they're not really in danger yet from a business perspective. But here's something to remember. Jamie Roots was the president of the organization since the team's inception. And even in those years when they went three and 13 and in those really lean and bad years, the team still ran, did good business. 
Now, I wasn't always a fan of Jamie Roots and some of the some of the things he did, but he was a really good businessman for the organization. And the fact that Cal would allow um, you can't make Jamie stay, but it, obviously there was a, there was some tension with the Jack Easterby. It, it's even spilled over to the other side of the organization. So it says to me that you're not making good financial business decisions. Those are things that were in place that made this organization money. They were touted as one of the better run franchises for many years, even when they were losing. So I don't know that they're in danger yet. It's not a good look. I don't know how long before, you know, does Janice McNair say enough's enough? Is she just like, I don't know, I'm just Cal, you handle it? I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that the fact that Cal McNair, and I blame him because he's the one in charge, allowed Bill O'Brien to decimate this roster, to even get them to the point to bring us Jack Easterby. Because remember, he came in as Bill's do, like the let's keep Bill happy guy. And then before we knew it, he was the executive VP of football operations. And they were trading D-hop for, you know, a chicken wing and a piece of bread. I, I mean, you know, it was just bad decision after bad decision. So then you enter Nick Casario, who's supposed to be the guru of fix it all. And I have to be honest, I, I don't know what he's doing, right? I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if it's going to work. There's nothing that I've seen that says, oh, yeah. This guy's on to something. I don't I don't know that yet. I mean, I know he talks a lot. He talks really fast. I don't know that he ever really says a whole lot that I can decipher. And I'm fairly above average of a level of intelligence. So I don't know what Nick is doing. I don't know he's that he's the one that's going to turn it around. I think we all know that David Cully is not the long-term answer for coaching this organization. But you could bring in Vince Lombardi. If you don't have any players, it don't really matter who you have coaching. So how are they going to fix this team? They are, I think, two years from starting to be competitive on an optimistic viewpoint, maybe three, maybe it's 2024 before this team is really competitive. I, I don't know, but I, I don't know what Nick is doing. I'm not sold yet. I'm not nearly as convinced as a lot of my colleagues are about Nick Casario and his just because he was with the Patriots. I mean, let's face it. The reason the Patriots were so good for so mm -hmm. long is, ever said everybody, Tom Brady. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what we've been talking about. And really quick, um, John, if you don't mind me asking Kim just one last question, you know, to that point where you talk about, you know, you, you don't think this organization can, you know, at least get to the point where they're competitive in the next two years. I, 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 I want to ask you this one last question. What is your confidence level level and your faith level in this organization to actually fix the transgressions that got them here in the first place? Because, I mean, look, we could talk about um, Bill O'Brien, you know, just blowing up a roster that any coach with common sense would have loved to have. But at the same time, we all heard it time and time again. I mean, your guy, Whitney Merciless, said in his introductory press conference to the Green Bay Packers that there's a lot of issues going on with that organization, and a lot of it starts up top. And I'm one of those guys where it's like, okay, look, you ruined everything with the J.J. Watt, D-Hop, the Deshaun Watson, generational Hall of Fame talents. There's a possibility you can get those players again, but I'm looking at this from a standpoint, if you do not fix the transgressions that got you behind in this situation to begin with, in the next five to five years, we could be in the same exact situation again. So I have no confidence in Cal McNair and Jack Easterby. I don't know about Nick Casario. 
I don't know. Um, I'm willing to not say, I mean, I'm not super confident about Nick, but maybe he, maybe he can do some stuff. I have zero confidence in Jack and zero confidence in Cal McNair. I have no reason to have any confidence in those two dudes. And I believe that's where it all starts. You know, speaking of confidence, do you have confidence in David Cully and his coaching staff? And if not, what are your feelings about Lovey Smith right now, Greg Jackson and Tim Kelly? How much criticism do they deserve or is it just situational why they're not succeeding as what we would, we would hope for them to be? So let me let me say this. Um, I, I mean, I feel like David, David Cully knows football. He's been around a long time. I heard somebody say he never had any aspiration to be a head coach. I don't know if to be the case. He's a black man. We, it's a different track for them, you know, for us, right? So I'm not convinced that he never wanted to be a head coach. I think opportunities early on were slim. So I, I'm not going to put that on him. I have not been overly impressed with a lot of his coaching moves, little things like, I don't know, it's fourth and goal and you're down by 11 and you, you know, the two yard line and you kick field goal. I, but here's the thing. I am also unsure of whether Data Cully has final say on his coaching calls, right? As long as Nick Casario is in the booth with the little coaching outfit on, I don't know that David Cully has final say on what he's doing. I just don't know. He might. I have no reason to say that he doesn't other than Nick Casario is in the booth. Jack Easterby is on the field. I don't know that those are all David Cully's final decisions. He's never going to say they're not, but I don't know. So to answer your question, am I confident in Cully? There's no reason to be really confident in Cully uh, or, or the coaching staff because as a staff, they've not made good calls, right? I think the defense has done better. Obviously, you get five takeaways in a game and you get nine points. Even if you got a field goal every time, you would have won, but I digress. Um, I feel better about Lovey and the defense, but they've also got some other talent. I mean, probably the best talent on this team is on the defensive line. Right. You've got maybe two players who may be on this organization. And in the next three years or so, it's probably Roy Lopez and it's probably John Grenard. Not really sure. But those are two of the better players on the team at this point. And that's where your better play has been on the defensive line. He's got something to work with. The offensive line has just been. Man, it's been bad. <laughs> you know, the play there has been bad. The running back room is really old. That's not happening. I mean, just. You guys have seen it, right? They've got a lot of problems. There's nothing really good happening on this offense. So I would be willing to say, yeah, they all deserve the credit, you know, some of the blame because they're they're new to us. And I, I don't know who's getting, who's making the final call. Like that absolutely David Cully's call to say, we're going to go for a field goal. It, um, you know, fourth and goal from the two and you're down by, I don't, is that what you do? So they all deserve blame because they're on the staff, right? And if the team is unprepared, like they seem to be like against Miami, right? That offense, you knew that Miami was going to blitz. They don't necessarily know, but against the Texans, it looked all pro. So that's got to be a coaching thing. Were they not prepared for that? You knew it was what they were going to do. It's what they it's, it's all they have, but it worked. So there's just so much uncertainty, guys, for me, because I don't know what Nick is really doing in the booth. If I could just get in there, guys, and just see. <laughs> I think we all want to be in that booth because, you know, to your point, <laughs> this is a conversation we've had before. It doesn't make sense for, at least in my mind, 
for Nick Casario, yeah. who doesn't have coaching experience, has a lot of scouting experience, and I get that, but does not have coaching experience to be in their booth in year one with a franchise that you obviously need to allow your first-year head coach with the coaching staff that you assembled for him to get comfortable with their players. Let them allow allow them to make their own mistakes. Allow them to make their own calls and don't jeopardize or get in between with that because what, what does that do? Well, it does what Wendy Mercer has spoken on. It does what we've been hearing behind the scenes. It causes too much confusion. It causes friction, and it causes your team to be one and eight when you've had games you should have won, and like you mentioned so so beautifully, going forward on the two yard line for a field goal when you are down eleven, that just makes no sense to me, and that <laughs> that screams I gave up, I give up on the season. <sighs> Hence my word pathetic, right? There are all of these things that brings me to that word. I expected to be disappointed throughout the season because I didn't think that there, there was just, you know, like this is going to be a disappointing season. I didn't expect to be here at the pathetic mark. You know, I, I didn't expect that. So we'll see, you know. One thing I've been saying is not that you're going to lose, it's how you lose. I knew Houston was going to be at this point. Uh, but it's how they got to this point. Like you mentioned, it's just it makes it so hard to watch, even – from a uh, professional standpoint, I know me and Cody have days where we just don't even want to talk about it, but we get paid to, so we talk about it. I mean, you get to the point where you're starting to have to figure out, okay, well, how many first downs did they get, right? Because I can't really talk about points, so what can I do? Like, oh, they had a first down, you know, they converted on a third down, if they had two third down, I mean, oh, wait, only eight penalties this time? You know, you're trying to find something <laughs> <laughs> to talk about because there are not a lot of things that you can discuss. It reminds me, I was working at Illinois at a TV station and I covered U of I the year that they went like 0 16. So it's outdoor stadium, it's Illinois. And so by week, you know, I'm not 0 16, they went 0 whatever you go, however many college games there are, 0 10 maybe. Week six, you're like, it's 20 below, you're doing a live shot and you're like, well, listen, in the second half, they did get a first down. I mean, I do remember doing that in a live shot, seriously, because there was nothing else to talk about. But at least with the Texans, I get to be indoors. I'm not outside in, in the snow, you know, in below freezing weather, having to do live shots and talk about this pathetic brand of football right now. Uh, uh, uh. I, I just want to keep this conversation going just a little bit. So one and eight, right? We talked about, we just mentioned that going forward on two, on the second uh, two-yard line, down 11. Aside of that, what has been one of the most why did you make that call play so far this year for you? I think that there have been a number of them. I, I can't even remember them all. There's usually a play where either he didn't accept the penalty and you're like, why didn't he take that penalty? You know, why would you give the other team the ball? Why did you not accept this? I, I, I don't – there's been so much stuff you know, John, along in, in this season, that that is the thing that's in my mind right now. But it almost seems to be weekly a play that you're like, huh, I wonder why he did that. You know, the fancy go for the whatever they did on a punt that hit the player in the back of the head, that call a few weeks back when I was at the special teams coach idea, y'all not good enough to get cute. Punt the daggone <laughs> ball. Don't do that, right? You're not good enough to be fancy. I just think every week, unfortunately, there's something that you can pick, and I don't have a 
oh, that was the one. Right now, for me, it's last because that was the most recent. What's the most egregious? They all are. That's a damn shame. Thank you guys <laughs> for checking out the Locked On Texans for our Wednesday edition. We had a lot of fun on today's episode. Uh, Kim Davis, please let everybody know where they can find you on your social media and any of your work while you cover the Houston Texans, Rockets, and Astros. Yes, first of all, thank you guys again for inviting me. It's fun being here. Um, you can follow me everywhere on Twitter and at Kim Y. Davis, on Instagram at Kim.Y.Davis, on Facebook at Chalk Talk Kim Y. Davis, YouTube Chalk Talk Kim Y. Davis. And um, I do a live show every Tuesday at, at 10 a.m. across all my platforms, even on LinkedIn. So if you look for Kim Davis, Kim Y. Davis, and Chalk Talk, you can't miss me. And uh, thanks, guys, for having me. I look forward to coming back again. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, you guys got the last name Davis, but I think me and you family, how we didn't, I kind of connected with you this episode with some of your uh, opinions. You know, what was the one? Well, I have some Hickmans in my family. There's a side of my family where there's some Hickmans. There's some Hickmans and there's some Davises. So, I mean, I'm just Hold saying. on now. So, you're saying there's a possibility all three yeah, of us can be related. Of and, us and that's why me and John click so well since college. Okay, now, now it's starting to make sense, John. It's starting to make sense. <laughs> we got to go. What, what's that? Close that loop for y'all. <laughs> Oh, my God. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. You guys know me. I'm John Hickman. Follow me on Twitter. I'm actually John underscore Hickman 12 on Twitter now. But make sure you follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texas. Take those same couple of thumbs and fingers. Head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube page at Locked On Texans as well. Comment and like. Until we join you guys tomorrow, peace. Have a great day. Enjoy your hump day. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.